name's Josh. Haven't had a chance to introduce myself yet. Lead pastor of Bethel. And I want to start with a, some question and answer time. And it, this is not going to get too weird, so just bear with me. Um, but can you identify these feet? You just hold with me. Can you identify these feet? Okay, foot number one. And this, this is a reflection that I do love my wife. Mickey Mouse, right? That's Mickey Mouse. It's a shoe, but you get the point, right? It's his foot. Okay, foot number two. That, those are Ronald McDonald's feet. Okay, good job. Um, foot or feet number three. Look, I just want our senior adults to know that, that the loudest identification I heard was from our youth. Good job, guys. Okay. Feet number four. The blue suede shoes. Uh huh. All right, okay. <laughs> and lastly, no jokes, please. Number five, foot number five. <laughs> that is possibly Bigfoot. We will pray for him later, Bella. Okay. So, um, now, why do, why do I bring these feet into the equation? As someone, I really don't like feet, if I'm honest with you, because scripture is very clear. Romans 10 and verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. Ephesians 6 and verse 15 says that upon these feet, upon the beautiful feet are the sandals that are girdled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So what you've done today, you've wandered into this church and we are in a second part of our series called Back to the Basics. And last week we looked at Church 101 and I even caught myself today using the wrong language. You don't invite anyone to church. Jesus does that. When you put your faith in Christ, you become the church. Church is not an event. It's not an institution. It's an identity. And so today in our Back to the Basics message, we're going to look at evangelism 101. And I know some of you think, okay, he just uses big word evangelism. I'm out. Evangelism simply means good news, bringing good news. Anyone you want to or need good news today? So with that, we're going to look at two words of Christ. The last words he has to his disciples in Matthew. So you can go ahead and find Matthew chapter 28. Uh, a passage most of you already have memorized. And then we're going to look at the last words of Christ before he ascends into heaven in Acts. So we're going to begin in Matthew. For those of you who take notes, um, I want to simply give you five hindrances to sharing your faith and six helps to sharing your faith. You say, well, that's not parallel. Those don't match up. Well, I wanted to give you more helps than hindrances, okay? So five helps. Yes, there are 11 points. So hold on, we're going to roll through this today. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. Jesus says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray, Father. We desperately, 
need a word from the Lord. Father, we don't need the words of a man. We need the power and the presence of our eternal Father. So Lord, as we have opened up your word, we trust that you have already prepared our hearts to receive the good news. Lord, help us have beautiful feet. Help us put on our feet the sandals that are ready to bring the gospel of peace to those, as we sing already, those who are hellbound. And Father, I pray today that because of the power of your Holy Spirit, that hell will be emptier because Jesus saves. We pray this in, in the name of our only Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So let's look at why we don't share our faith. Um, I, I think if we're honest, most of you would, would confess that you don't share your faith like you wish you would. So I'm going to look at um, five hindrances, four myths to those, those hindrances. So here's uh, myth number one, things that we believe wrongly, incorrectly. Look at Matthew again. Jesus says, go, start verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. So myth number one is this, only super apostles share their faith. And we just, we just believe that, hey, the super Christians, right? The, like the Billy Grahams of the world and the, the D.L. Moody's and the Martin Luther's and the John Calvin's and um, Franklin Graham's, those are the people who share their faith. That's who God's talking. Some of you already, you're astute and you've already picked up on that Jesus is speaking the great commission in Matthew 28 to his disciples. And you say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not one of the 11. Well, let's look at these guys really quick. Look at verse 17. These super apostles, right? Verse 17. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped. Still super apostle category, but some doubted. Okay, we might not be in the super, super apostle category, but you can get into the second group. Um, I think this is Matthew's way of nicely of saying they all doubted at some point. But what's the help to us? These are not super apostles. These are people empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work of Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't believe the myth that only super apostles share their faith. I think that's the greatest impediment we have. I firmly believe that for every one Billy Graham you have heard of, there are hundreds if not millions of Christians that you will meet in heaven one day that have shared their faith and thousands have come to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've never heard of them. That's the point. It's not about me. And Billy Graham would say, it's not about him. And so I think we leave point number one with this thought. God has not asked us to build pedestals for super apostles. He's asked you to stand upon his promises. Don't build pedestals. You say, well, I can't be Pastor Josh. Yes, you can. If you only knew. I don't know who's laughing about that. That was not a joke. I know my wife sits over here somewhere. So, right. We are not called to build pedestals. Myth number one, only super apostles share their faith, stand upon the promises. Myth number two is this. Listen to me, because this is a Baptist myth and you're in a Baptist church. Myth number two, evangelism is a spiritual gift. 
Some of you are trying to find it right now. Keep looking. Go ahead. Email me later. Some of us believe that evangelism is a spiritual gift. The word of God, I'll just help you out. The word of God never says that evangelism is a spiritual gift. Some of you are thinking, well, I took a spiritual gift test online and it says that evangelism is a spiritual gift and I don't have that gift. So therefore I don't have to share good news. That is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. That is exactly what the enemy wants you to believe. Ephesians reminds us that some have been, are called evangelists for the equipping of the saints to evangelize. But it doesn't say they have the spiritual gift of evangelism. They have the task of encouraging the saints to share the good news. If, listen, if evangelism were a spiritual gift, let me hear what I'm about to say. If evangelism was a spiritual gift, then the promise in Matthew 28 would be to those who have the spiritual gift, right? So some of you have already claimed this promise with rejecting the gift. Look at the promise of Jesus Christ, teaching them in verse 20 to observe everything I have commanded you and lo, well, that's how I memorized it, right? And remember, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Who in here wants Jesus to be with you always? Okay, I'm, I'm on that ship too. If this were only for those gifted with evangelism and that's not us, we wouldn't have this promise. So that's a myth. Myth number two, evangelism is a spiritual gift. It is not a spiritual gift. Evangelism is bringing good news. Evangelism is a gospel. That gives me hope. Myth Number three, Baptists, listen to me again, please, because I love you. We, we, can make a, we can make a program or a presentation out of anything, right? Evangelism is not a presentation or a program. Myth number three, evangelism, well, I have been trained in, in evangelism explosion. Don't tell me it's not a program. It's not a program. It's not a program. I, I love what, you know, I think we struggle because we, we like programs. We like standardization. And look, be, standardization is good in certain aspects. For instance, I want my Big Mac in Alabama to taste like a Big Mac I, I order in California. Now, for some of you, that's a crystal burger. I'm not going to call out anyone here. But for me, I want my quarter pounder the same today as tomorrow, I want standardization, but the struggle with that is we import that to our spiritual lives. And we say, well, if, if this place can get this burger right, then if we work hard enough, then we can get evangelism right. Listen to what I'm about to say. We cannot train or program the gospel. It is the power of God into salvation. And this is why it's a myth. Because Satan, the enemy, the adversary, Satan, and he's real, by the way. If you don't believe that, see me after church. He wants you to believe if you nail the presentation, then someone's going to come to faith in Christ. And if they don't come to faith in Christ, then you didn't nail the presentation. And so because you didn't nail the presentation, you're not going to present the gospel ever again. The gospel is not about your words. 
That's a myth. You can't program it. You can't present it in a way where if, they, if you just nail it, then someone's going to say, you know what? That was a really good job, sir. I believe. What is the program that Jesus, this is Jesus' evangelistic method. He gives us a one word Baptist program for evangelism. Ready for this? Look at verse 19. The very first word in verse 19, this is Jesus' evangelistic program. Go, go. He said, well, we have we to be trained. Go. Well, if we just, I need to know the Romans wrote and go. The Holy Spirit is with you. Go. Now, listen, if you've been trained, I've been trained in every, every evangelistic tool that's been invented and I made some up myself. That's not bad. Because those put words, the words of God into your mind, into your heart. But the Holy Spirit is the best guide you ever have. Amen. Myth number three, the gospel is a program or a presentation. Let's keep going. Myth number four, and some of us believe this. We just believe that no one wants to hear. Well, no one wants to hear anyway. All those hard-hearted people. Listen, that was you one time. That was me. We were the hard heads and the hard hearts. First, this is categorically false. Now, let me, let me brag on the generation that we like to throw mud at. The millennials and Gen Z. So if you are, I'm going to ask you your age. I know that's not kosher, but please, please. If you are 18 to 36, raise your hand. So a pretty good group in here, right? A lot, this, there's, a, there's a concentrate, sorry, if I've, if I've created any dilemmas for your life. Okay, put your hands down. These generations are more open to spiritual conversations than any generation in the last 50 years. Did you hear what I said? These generations, Gen Z and the millennial generation are more open to spiritual conversations than any generations in the last 50 years or more. So it's a myth that no one wants to hear the gospel. And did you know most people are likely to come to church, to come, I can't use that language, sorry. I'm, I'm, I didn't listen to my sermon from last week. Most people are likely to come watch you worship if you invite them. It's a myth that no one wants to hear. Actually, people are hungry. They're starving for the word of God. And I believe this about my savior. If Jesus tells you to go, He's already prepared the hearts of the person you're going to, right? If he says go, he's already prepared the hearts. Isaiah, the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says this in Isaiah 43, eight, bring out a people who are blind yet have eyes and are deaf yet have ears. And let me just leave you with this. Even deaf people have ears. That is the power of Christ at work. And, and I've already heard two conversations this week of a grandchild and a daughter that we've been praying for um, for years. One an about atheist, another one that, that's, that's run away from the Lord. And that we are seeing after years cracks in the wall because the gospel that like Jeremiah says is a hammer. Don't quit hammering. Don't give up. It's a myth that no one wants to hear. Okay, hindrance number five. Church people, listen to me. Hindrance number five is this. You are only around church people. 
Now, let me just say this as a pastor. Sometimes that's the, that's the crowd that needs evangelism the most, okay? So never assume, even about your pastor, never assume that because I worship at a given place that I know the Lord. I tell people all the time, if you come up to me and say, hey, Josh, do you, do you believe in Jesus Christ? I'm not gonna say, how dare you? I'm gonna say, sit down. Let me tell you about an awesome God who saved me. Thank you for asking. But some of us are around church people so much, you don't know anyone that doesn't know the Lord. That's a, that's a problem. If we're not careful, we get into our holy huddles. And as we grow in faith, we grow in community of faith, but we look out and we say, well, I don't know anyone that doesn't know the Lord. That is not true. Unless you do your online pickup every day from the grocery store. And you say, well, if that's true, then you come to the soccer field and watch my son play soccer. Adopt him. Be his adopted grandchild, grandparent. And I'll show you people who need the Lord. Come to me, to the marketplace. I'll show you people who need the Lord. Show up at 8332 Moody Parkway on Sunday mornings at 1015. I'll show you people who need the Lord. We cannot surround ourselves with like-minded people and say, well, God, I just don't know anyone. What we're doing is we're closing our eyes to the needs of those in our nation. See, look at the hindrance these people have. What's the geography and the anthropological makeup of this command? Let me help you out. There's 11 people and they're on one mountain. And they could literally look around and say, Jesus, there's only 11 disciples here. And the one that didn't believe, you already, you already kicked him out, Judas. So we're good. The command, if you don't know anyone that doesn't know Christ, the command to you is go, go. The command is go. These are hindrances. So with that, let's look at helps. You say, well, pastor, that's horrible message. Uh, let's pick up the pieces and let's do better. Turn with me to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. My prayer is that we, as 1 Corinthians 9 says, we will not be a hindrance to the gospel. Think about that. You can be a hindrance to the gospel. Oh, may it never be said of us that we're hindrances. So here's your six helps. Acts 1, 8. Jesus again speaking, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the world. Praise God that someone took it upon themselves to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to St. Clair County in Alabama. I don't know who that person is, but some of you owe your, your heritage of faith to the person who said, I'm not gonna stay here in India. I'm not gonna stay here in Israel. I'm going somewhere with the gospel. We owe it to them that they said, I am going to share this good news. And so what are some helps in our lives? So help number one, look at verse eight again. Very simple, but we need to understand this. You will receive power. Power. Whose power? Not your power. God's power. 
through the Holy Spirit, if you have received Jesus Christ, if you accepted the word of God, you have received and been sealed by the Holy Spirit, you have the power of God. Think about that. Let that sink in. You have the power. Think about the power of God. This is not even in my sermon, but think about that. God is so powerful that with one word, he created everything. One word, everything. That wasn't even his bicep. That was, that was his mouth. This is the power of God. You have the power of God working in you. Leonard Ravenhill says it this way. Any method of evangelism will work if God is in it. Any method of evangelism will work if God is in it. Why is that true? Because only the Holy Spirit can convict. Only the Holy Spirit can draw the hearts of man. Only the Holy Spirit can open up the eyes of the blind and the, the ears of the deaf. Only the Holy Spirit can say, I need this. Help number one, you have the power of God. We could just stop there. That's all we need, right? We have the power of God. And when you receive the power of God, watch what can happen. Okay, help number two. Look at the word of God again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. So why does the power of God come upon his people? For the purpose of God, right? The power of God is in you for the purpose of God working through you. So you have the power of God to be used by him to a world who desperately need. Look, people who don't know Christ are looking at you and saying, if you say you follow Christ, by all means, I want to see the power of God working in you. This is the purpose of God. Now, I, I think of it like this. If you receive the power of God for the purpose of God to be a witness, you experience the power of God when you are a witness. Does that make sense? So if you receive, if we receive the power of God to be a witness, we experience the power of God when we are that witness. If we're honest, the reason we don't see the power of God working in our lives because we're not being the witness that God has already called us to be. We wanna be drunk on the power instead of being witnesses to the power. And I will tell you this personally, I, don't, I never pray more until I know I'm sharing my faith. Because I know it's only a Holy Spirit driven process. So I don't, I don't share my faith with Frank saying, Lord, I hope, he, I hope he listens to my eloquence and I communicate clearly and I, I bring him back. No, I say, God, you know, I can't do this on my own. And God, if I can, I still can't do this on my own. And I have no power but you. But Lord, I want your power to work through me that he might see the power of you working through me and he might see you. The power of God works through you for the purposes of God in you. I remember um, talking to my cousin at a youth camp years ago. I'm not gonna tell you how many years ago, but just, just a long time ago. And I remember praying that first night and I was agitated. I'm normally not an angry person. Um, excitable, yes, but not angry. And I remember, this is how I started the conversation. We go to our room afterwards and I look at him and I say, Dude, 
I don't know what I, I addressed him by his name. I said, I, I'm upset with you. I don't, I'm mad at you. You're not living like you should be. Look, I've, I've had evangelism training. Not once does it say that's how you start the conversation, right? Brad, I just want you to know I'm mad at you, dude. Listen to the power of God working. You know what his response was? You're right. After I picked my jaw up off the floor, I looked at him and said, you need to come to Christ. And that night in that room, he confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In spite of my poor communicative skills. Don't tell me the power of God is not at work. And if you want to experience the power of God in your life, be a witness for God. Help number one, the power of God. Help number two, the power of God in you is working to the purposes through you. Help number three. This is very simple, but we forget. God's grace. God's grace. You say, well, how does God's grace help me share my faith? Because the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and lets you know it is by grace alone and Christ alone through faith alone that you're saved. And studies will show this. Those who regularly and daily confess your sins are more likely to share your faith. It's almost as if the deeper I drink of the grace of Jesus in my life, the more I realize other people need that grace. It's almost as if we need to sing, Lord, grace has brought me safe this far and grace will lead me home. It's God's grace and the deeper I understand my sin. And this is counterintuitive. We think, well, if I just go to church, then I'll become more sanctified and the less sin I will have and the more holy I will become. But I've found in my life, unless I'm just completely crazy, that the more I see Jesus, the more dark my heart looks and the more joyful his grace is to me. God's grace changes our lives. D.T. Niles says this about evangelism. It's just one beggar telling another beggar how to find bread. And you know some of our problems? You forgot what it was like to be hungry. You've been in church so long and you've known the bread of life so long, you've forgotten what it was like to be hungry. May we never forget. May you never forget that without Christ, you are destined to a separation that was eternal in hell, away from the presence of God. May we never forget that. May I never forget that when I was walking the road of destruction, people were praying for me and they didn't give up. The grace of God is our help. Number four, how many of these do we have again? 11, okay, number four. Help number four. We need to know that God has put people in our life who need to hear the gospel. You need to know right now that God has put people in your life that need to hear the gospel. Said another way, every single person listening to this message has someone in your life that needs to hear the gospel. And God has sovereignly, listen to this, God has sovereignly placed them in your life so that they might hear the gospel. 
God has put people in your life that you might speak life-giving, glorious gospel truth to them. You say, well, who might that be, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. 30% of Americans who have followed Jesus Christ say that their parents were instrumental in loving them to Jesus. If you have a child that is not a believer in Christ, that is your mission field. 30% of people in this room say, and I was one of those. My parents didn't lead me to Christ, but they led me everything. They led me right to the pearly gates. 50% of Americans say this, that it was a friend or a family member that shared the good news in a way that they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Half of us here belong to the kingdom through Christ because a friend or a family loved you enough to share the good news. There are people in your life that need to hear. Let me tell you a quick story. And, and, and don't think I'm telling these stories to say, look at me. I'm telling you some of these stories to say, don't look at me. So last year, I decided to begin my coaching dominance of the universe with five-year-old basketball, right? Um, I had to laugh because we, we had one kid. It took him, and these are short goals. It took him the last practice of the year before he actually made a bucket. He could not physically get the ball even to the rim. And we celebrated. We were jumping around. But through that, we would have a devotion. We would pray every practice every game. And we began, to, uh, we began our family to befriend a, a lady named Stephanie. And through the encouragement of, of her family and our relationship, by the end of that, that uh, by the end of my domination in basketball coaching, she put her trust in Jesus Christ. And this year she was baptized here. Now, here's why I tell you that story. I thought it was about basketball. It wasn't. It was about eternal matters. And there are things, some of you are going to work tomorrow and you think it's about work. Mm. If you know Christ, it's eternal. Some of you are gonna go to the, the grocery store or the restaurant on the way home from church today and you're gonna fight with your kids. And you're thinking it's about the fight, it's about the nap, it's not, it's eternal. There are people in your life right now that need to hear the gospel. This January, I met a man at a funeral and I was running late and I gave him my card and said, call me. That week I had lunch with a man named Mike. And we left that lunch, I'll never forget this. We left that lunch and the last words I said to him was this, follow Jesus, it's worth it. One of the greatest tragedies a father could ever experience in his life. Let me read you that. I went back and looked this week. Let me read you the text that I received on January 26 of 2018. Hey, good afternoon, Josh. That's me. I wanted to share my news. I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And in August, the man that you saw hugging his son, his name Michael, who not only came to faith in Christ, but saw his son come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are people in your life that need the gospel and they don't need your pastor to share it. They're in your life because they need you to hear it. I believe 
that God sent them to you because you are their missionary. You are their missionary. Begin to pray for them. Begin to seek them. Help number five. Use open doors that God gives you. Um, You and I have something in common with every single person on the planet. It's called sin. I mean, there's one common denominator for all of us. Sin. And so you say, well, I don't have anything in common, people. Yes, you're a sinner. And that binds us. One, it breaks relationship with God. And two, it, it puts us on our road to hell, away from the Savior, because of our willing rebellion against God's design in our life. But use the doors that God has given you to speak to people. You say, well, what does that look like? I'll never forget, I was in the Lowe's this August. And I was checking out on a Saturday, so you can, you can get the picture of busyness there. And I was talking with this lady, it was near football season, so we were all excited. And I was counseling her because she was upset. She thought, I'm worried, about I'm worried about Mississippi State this year as an Alabama fan. I can't sleep at night. I said, it'll be okay. I said, we will counsel. You have a great counseling department. They will help you get through the night. And then she said this. She said, you guys got a new coach, don't you? And, and so we're speaking about basketball, we're speaking about football in this line. And, and it's something, it was the Holy Spirit, it was not me. I, I said, you know what? I think he's going to be excellent. But I looked at her, I said, that man's going to let me down one day. I didn't realize that was prophetic to today. <laughs> and this is what came out of my mouth. I still can't believe it came out of my mouth. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Open doors that God's given you. Talking about football at Lowe's, and something out of my mouth said this, he's going to let me down, but there is a man that will never let me down, and his name is Jesus Christ. And her eyes got big, and she looked at me, she said, you're right. And she gave me the receipt, and we had to, there was a line building. Use the open door. I would have never guessed. And I didn't stop, I didn't kneel like, like someone right before the, uh, I didn't kneel at the gates or the, the folding doors and pray when I went into Lowe's. I wasn't being some super spiritual, super apostle. It's the Holy Spirit giving me an open door. Use the open doors. Listen, every conversation that you have should lead to the gospel. We're talking, we're at the table, talking about bread. He is the bread of life. There's wars on the news. We have, we, we worship the Prince of Peace. Every conversation we can bring to the gospel. Now don't stop someone and say, stop. Let's talk about Jesus. Okay. Turn to him number 316. Right, sixth verse of just as I am. I mean, it should be natural because if the Holy Spirit is living in you, he has empowered you to share your faith. Use the open doors that God has given you. And lastly, help number six, sharing the gospel begins with intentional prayer. Sharing the gospel begins with intentional prayer. I have a young man at our church. Um, he's, actually, he's actually here today. Um, put his faith in Jesus Christ. And we've prayed for him. I prayed for him for two and a half years. Some of you have been praying for him for years and years and years. And in our time on Wednesday night, we have time of intentional focused prayer. And one of the things that we started last year is um, praying for those that we think are far from Christ. Now, now I can't declare anyone saved or they're lost. The only, the only God knows the heart of man. But I will say this, never assume about me that I'm saved. Just assume I don't know Jesus and share the good news. 
And I'm always gonna be thankful for good news. But um, this young man in our youth group, and I'm not using their names because I didn't have their permission. So um, afterwards, I'll get their permission to use it next time. Came to faith and was baptized this year in our church. Mom walks up to me a couple weeks ago out in the lobby. She says, hey, I wanna show you this. Because what we did, I, I passed out pieces of paper and said, here, write someone that you think doesn't know the Lord. We're gonna collect them in a popcorn bucket and I want you to randomly pull out that name and commit to pray for that person. Well, in their devotion, a couple of weeks ago, they opened up their Bible. This mom opened up her Bible and guess whose name that she randomly drew out of the bucket? Her son's name who had come to faith. Church, you will never share your faith if you're not intentionally praying. You will never share your faith. We have a young man being baptized next. And, and let me say this, that young man that came to faith, we have had people intentionally praying for him for years. I don't know the thousands, if not millions of hours people spent on their knees for me. I'll never know. One day I will when I get to heaven. But we have a young man. Some of you see me kneel at the altar and pray, and it's not about me. But I'm praying every Sunday for people that I know heard the good news this Sunday, that they would respond to the good news this Sunday. And I keep a list. And if you don't keep a list, begin to journal, write down, I have it in my desk drawer, the people that I have been praying for. Here, here's the glorious power of Christ. I'm scratching off that list. Not because I've done anything, because we have dads leading their sons to faith. We have friends leading their, fun, their, their friends to faith. And we say we celebrate that. But we have a young man next week getting baptized because he's trusted in Jesus Christ that I have prayed for every day this year at this altar. Intentional prayer is a catalyst for your faith. And so I want to end on this note. Evangelism 1 Oh, one. Whose missionary are you today? Whose missionary are you? Who has God put in your life that you might share the good news? Maybe that person's here today. And maybe you need to quit listening to me, turn me off and begin to seek the Holy Spirit and say, God, wake them up. Lord, I know that you can make the deaf hear and give them life. We're gonna open the altar during our time of response as we do every Sunday. And I would encourage you, if you feel pressured, by no means don't do, the, don't do this. But if you have someone in your life that you know is far from Christ, would you commit to spend every time that you think about it in prayer? Would you commit today to come and say, they can't come to this altar and pray, but you know what, Lord, I can. And I want the gates of hell to tremble because the power of God is working through the people of God. And Lord, we don't just want your power. We want to experience your power. And if anything can be said of most Baptist churches, they're void of the power of God. We need the power of Christ in our life. Share, be the good news. And if you're the missionary, spend time before the throne. It's worth it. Maybe you're here today and for the first time you realized that you're the person that needs the good news. As I was speaking, as I was sharing, as the word of God was opening, something in your chest, something in your mind was saying, who told this pastor about me? 
No one. I don't even know who you are probably. The Holy Spirit does. Because God sent his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Can I just share really quick what the good news is about? One, I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you enough that when you were out of relationship with him, he kept pursuing you and he is pursuing you. That God so loved you that he what? He sent his only son. Like, Jesus didn't die because there was a mistake or a political rebellion. Jesus didn't die because he wasn't, he wasn't strong enough or because there, there was you know, confusion in the world. Jesus died because God wanted to bring you back into relationship and he gave his son willingly for your sake so that whoever believes will not perish. Let me give you the bad news before I give you the good news. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you are not in a relationship with Christ, you are perishing. You are dead in your sin. The Bible doesn't say you're sick or maimed or you're hard of hearing, you're dead. But the good news is this. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That doesn't begin when you die and when you see the pearly gates. Life enters you the moment the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And if you have never trusted in Christ, let me say, as I told Michael at the beginning of this year, it is worth it. So pastor, I'm in. How does that happen? One, you need, to, you need to admit you're a sinner. For me, that's not hard. God, I know I've messed up and I know that Jesus is the only way. But being sorry for your sins is not enough. You need to be forgiven of your sins. So you need to say, God, I am sorry and I need Christ for forgiveness alone. And when you ask him, he will forgive you. But he'd only, he doesn't only forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will restore you. That's the power of the gospel. He makes you right. So you can stand before God forgiven and restored if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He said, well, how do I do that? It could sound like this. You could pray a prayer. Prayer is communication with God. God, I know I've messed up. I know my sin is great, but I know that you promised. God, you promised that whoever believes in your son will not perish. And God, I believe. Today, I believe that you will forgive me, that you will cleanse me, and Lord, save me today. If that is you and you pray that prayer truthfully, if you believe, not with your mind, the Bible says you believe with your heart, you will be saved. And during our time of response or filling out that connect card, you can celebrate and we can celebrate with you. So will you respond to God's grace? The good news is for you. All right, Bethel, wake up. The good news is for us. And it's, listen, the, the good news of Jesus is always good. And may we share it because this news we're sharing. Let's pray.